their whole lives. You know, it, there's just a logic to to a, to a you know profit-seeking corporation. It's going to have to maximize profit just to survive on its own. I, but I, but it, all, all, when I was bringing up this whole example, was simply to point out the establishment is often very very wrong about very very important things. Uh, and um, when it comes to something like the origins of COVID-19, there's a, there's a lot of reason why if you're part of the scientific and academic establishment, you don't want it to be you know understood publicly, you know, for the public, that this was an engineered, a botched disaster of an engineered virus. Um, because, you know, there's all this research and biotechnology and millions and millions of dollars of grants, you know, academic grants, corporate grants. I mean, the whole industry, you know, people might turn against it. Popular opinion might might start to question what, whether this type of um, activity is, is good for 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 us as a, as a well, society. We, we did decades ago, after the Church Commission, we literally banned internationally chemical and biological weapons and research, and the uh, only research allowed was defensive. In other words, if some X nation state attacked us, there had to be a research program to figure out what to do prophylactically in anticipation of that, you know, someone using bio-warfare or chemical warfare, whatever. <laughs> Is this how we, the U.S. government, wound up sending like several billion dollars to China to research these coronaviruses? I don't think it was several billion dollars. The figure that I saw was five million dollars. Oh, five million. And, okay. Yeah. That's that's but, nothing. But, that's that's coffee money. Yeah, you can't do anything for five million. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, I guess you know. That well, another question. Let me ask it. Let me ask it a different way. You have arrived at the conclusion, as I have, that COVID nineteen is a manufactured, engineered uh, weapon. How did you get there? What 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 set of paper trails did you follow that led you to that evidentiary conclusion? Yeah, I mean, it's all in the uh, the short book. Well, I mean, tell the- us. Yeah, I, mean, I'm I hate right people who come I'm, on and just say, oh, read my book. Please, Daniel, don't do that. I'm looking, for instance, at a Nature Magazine article okay. from uh, 2015. Engineered that virus stirs debate over risky research. Uh, an experiment that created a hybrid version of a bat coronavirus. No, what, are you, what are you reading from? It's a Nature Magazine article from 2015. Okay. About it. It's about the same woman in Wuhan, an engineered bat virus that she made, which has stirred debate over risky research. That's just as I was saying before, the virus that she created took elements from SARS and spliced it into a bat coronavirus in order to be communicable to humans. So wait a minute, you're saying that the community flagged this as a potential problem in 2015, and yet when we're confronted with the reality, nobody in academia wants to say, she did it. Yeah, I mean that seems to be what's that's, happening. That's wow. I mean, talk about hypocrisy. Talk about forgetting history. Talk. I mean, fifteen, you know, fifteen to twenty. Oh, that's a, that's just five, five years is nothing. How come the people in the field have forgotten that there were papers looking at this and warning of dangers? I don't know. I don't have an answer to that. How do you address it in the book? I, I mean, I just explore it as, as, as I said. Now you can look at the trail that that there, you know, that that's what she does. Is she creates, uh, she takes coronaviruses from bats in Wuhan, 
and she engineers them so that they're more communicable to humans. And a bunch of virologists warned a number of years ago that was a really bad idea, uh, and yet the research continued. And um, you know, we had we had this virus escape from from this lab, as far as I can imagine. Hmm. So, if they were warning the community and this individual, what was the point of her research? I mean, everybody knew about it. It couldn't be top secret Chinese military research because you know. As I just said, the ostensible the ostensible uh, reason is, is to to actually prepare for a future threat that might emerge, in, in you know, as a natural risk. Um, you mean in nature you have these crossovers. And you need to be prepared in case those happen, having nothing to do with weaponization. Exactly. Okay. So that's how they sell SAV, S-A-O-V, their moral conscience. Oh, this is not secretly preparing for using this stuff. This is just to prepare us in case somebody else uses this stuff, right? Yes, exactly. But it's so easy then to pervert that research or in the, in the common parlance – to weaponize it, and you're thinking that's what happened in Wuhan. So there's an article from this magazine, Defense One, mm-hmm. in 2019, August, called Weaponizing Biotech, How Chinese Military is Preparing for a New Domain of Warfare. And according to this article, a number of years ago, the People's Army, Liberation Army in China, decided that Biology was the future, you know, of warfare, asymmetric warfare. Uh, they wrote a paper. Yeah, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Are, are, are the Chinese signers of any treaties that forbid this? Because I, I imagine some years ago, I seem to remember, there was a big brouhaha in the 70s, and a lot of nation states basically signed on to a treaty that forbid this, including us. Uh, I don't know, actually. I don't know. Um, that's, you know. Um, but, I mean, according to this article, and I think the Defense One is, an, is, a, is a magazine of the U.S. defense establishment. Um, let's see. China's national strategy of military-civil fusion has highlighted biology as a priority. Um, biology is among seven new domains of warfare discussed in the 2017 book. Um, modern biotechnology development is gradually showing strong signs characteristic of an offensive capability. Um, and in the 2017 edition of Science and Military Strategy, they debuted a section about biology as a domain of military struggle, mentioning the potential for new kinds of biological warfare to include specific ethnic genetic attacks. Oh, now that's interesting. We got about four minutes to the top of the hour. Have you been struck like I've been struck and that, that the, well, there's, there's two levels of being struck on this. One is this, this COVID-19 pandemic is attacking and killing people of color, blacks, native Americans, Indonesians, far East Asian, you know, Latinos far more like three to four to one compared to white people. And as I'm looking at this, the mainstream again is saying, well, that's because all these people are in these, you know, essential worker professions where they have to interact with the public and that's how they're getting it. I have been wondering from day one, Daniel, was this virus designed 
to wipe out those people? Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, once again, I, when I, if I don't know something, I, I just, you know, especially when it's this sensitive. Um, I mean, it may also be that uh, a lot of those people are poor and they're not getting, you know, very good nutrition or sources of vitamin D and vitamin C. They're eating more like sort of, um, you know, supermarket, um, you know, fast food products. Do you know if there's anybody doing studies to figure it out? Because there has to be an answer. It's scientifically approachable. Is it genetic? Is this a virus targeted to those genomes? Or is it just happenstance of culture and background and, you know, lack of medical care and lack of infrastructure from, you know, a medical society in this country, et cetera, et cetera? I don't, I, as far as I know, there's, there, those studies aren't being done, but I'm you know, not an expert in all the studies that are being done. Hmm. Don't you think we should find out? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, so, you know, e- even though I just read that thing from Defense One and, you know, it does seem that China was, was pursuing it. So it is possible, you know, it, you know, and once again, we're it's, it's such a problematic area because we're in such an area of hypothesis and conjecture and so on. Um, well, I warned everybody this was going to be a wildly speculative program. So, you mm-hmm. know, speculate. That's what we do here. We speculate with evidence if we have evidence. Um, yeah. So, I mean, you know, it would I mean, be interesting to me, to find- uh, sorry to interrupt, but to me, the stats themselves are stunning. How can you, ex- certain, you know, racial groups being three, four times more likely to die than there? I mean, there are white people working in supermarkets. There are white people who pick up the garbage that, you know, repair your phone line, that, you know, deliver your mail. Um, why is there this disparity? And it's like one of those things where nobody wants to talk about it because it's the forbidden, oh, my God, it's a racially targeted yeah. weapon. In other words, how could a natural evolved virus leaping between species only target people of color preferentially? Yeah, as I said, I don't I don't know enough about that. I mean, another but aren't you curious? Another thing to point out about China, which is very interesting, is apparently they um, you know they 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 very quickly locked down domestically, but they continued um, you know foreign flights around the world, and they they actually pressured um, ambassadors from countries like Australia, and New Zealand, to keep to keep taking their flights from uh, that that area. Uh, that province, uh, and and from China in general, uh, even when they'd stopped their domestic flights. Okay, hold it there at the top of the hour. My guest this morning is Daniel Pinchbeck, and we're having what is called a wide-ranging discussion of conspiracies. We're talking about COVID-19, which will segue elegantly into QAnon, the Trump administration, and maybe what's really going on. Stay tuned. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. I'd like you to support The Other Side of Midnight by subscribing to Club 19.5 and thereby joining our unique and growing radio community 
Tune in to listen to our fascinating guests, pioneers on the out there edge of science and thought, and gain access to exclusive member benefits. To do this, just visit our website, theothersideofmidnight.com, and click on the Join Club 19.5 link in the navigator bar or in the left-hand column. Membership costs $19.95 per month. That's 33 tetrahedral cents a day. I mean, it's the price of a couple of cups of coffee. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll gain access to this show and literally hundreds of previous shows on hundreds of different topics going back to 2015 that we have done. Our archive shows have the commercials removed, and you'll be able to download the MP3 files directly from the 19-point archives if you prefer. To enhance your listener experience, a new The Other Side of Midnight podcast is being added to all show pages, which will allow you to instantly search the show archives of Radio with Pictures, thus easily accessing the corresponding show. Plus, you can just as quickly access the entire podcast list when you're on the go. I want to personally thank all our Club 19.5 members because without your continuing support, this show would literally not be on the air. Please continue supporting the broadcast to provide you with the most interesting conversation available. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. And if you like what you hear on the other side of midnight, tell your friends and continue growing the show by having them subscribe to Club 19.5 as well, because we need all of you. And when I say we need you, you're the reason we're doing all this. Oakland, over and out. And welcome back, everybody, for this Saturday night, February 6th, 2021. My guest this morning is Daniel Pinchbeck, philosopher, writer, researcher, an investigator of this ephemeral thing we call consciousness. You know, Daniel, um, before the break, I wanted to ask this question. Let me, let me give you a kind of a setup here. Um, the Trump administration, which, of course, did not do very well on handling the COVID-19, did something very interesting early on. Like, I think February, March, maybe, they sent a letter, an official White House letter, to the National Academy of Sciences, and I read it on the air. I don't have it handy, but I can you know, post it for the Club 19.5 members uh, in the next day or two. They sent this letter asking the National Academy to investigate the idea that COVID-19 was an engineered, manufactured virus. White House, executive branch to the National Academy of Sciences, federally funded branch, part of the uh, executive branch. And as far as I know, they never got an answer. All we got was... It was something from a bat to another animal to us. Thoughts? 
Um, yeah, I mean, it just it just goes, you know, kind of with what we've been saying. I mean, um, you know, I think that you know the, the the darkest possibility is that there is some type of conspiracy or complicity around this engineered virus, um, and uh, you know, I mean, I mean. If you look at uh, the ecological data and the resource data, you know it could be that you know people behind the scenes um, have kind of just kind of decided that there's too many people on the earth right now, and you know the the best thing would be to um, you know remove some percentage of the, of the population of the planet, uh, and um, you know viruses might be the easiest way to do that, you know. Um, so, I mean, that's one, one possibility that, you know, I don't know if that's the case, but, um, you know, it, it could be so. Yeah. Hmm. Well, what I'm thinking is that at the same time, the White House is officially asking another part of the executive branch, was this damn thing engineered? The president, according to, again, recordings of his own voice talking to Bob Woodward, says, A, it's deadly. B, it's airborne, and C, he doesn't want to tell anybody because he doesn't want to panic the nation. And then we see a cacophony, a, a cascade of one scientific disaster following another, following another, following another. We have done as a nation everything wrong in the face of this pandemic, including the ultimate position, which is there's no pandemic at all. Now, given the Trump White House question to the Academy of Science about engineered, how did we get into the position where, I don't know, millions of people, maybe, I don't think it's anywhere near half, but let's say a third, are resolutely, almost religiously convinced this whole thing is a scam. There's no such thing as COVID-19. Nobody is dying in excess. It's no worse than, you know, the flu or a cold, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. How did we get into a position where China is officially being asked if they're responsible in terms of a bioweapon that escaped? And at the same time, the followers of the president are categorically adamant that there's nothing really going on. And they go to supermarkets without masks. They openly defy keeping certain places closed, like restaurants that spread this thing like, like crazy. In other words, how did we wind up with this social dichotomy where an awful lot of Americans think it's all a hoax? Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, people are in the U.S. have been made incredibly stupid uh, by the media. And um, I mean, they're just fed a total you know, kind of diet of, of lies and they've, they've lost, they've lost their capacity to reason or to think clearly. Well, all right. Uh, to, you know, kind of expand on that. Give me some examples. Well, I mean, the whole, the whole, I mean, you know, the whole, the whole, I mean, look at the denial of climate change. I mean, meanwhile, fire. Yeah, are... Climate change is an abstract, distant scientific possibility until a tornado wipes out your town and COVID-19 is killing people left and right. Everybody knows somebody who's died because of this thing. And yet in the face of that, there are people in Montana who basically as they're dying of COVID-19, they're claiming it's a hoax. It's 
bizarre. Yeah, it's bizarre. I mean, the U.S. is in a very sad state. And, and, you know, but is it just been, us? Is this not around the world, or are we really unique? I think we're pretty much outliers. You know, and, and, I mean, maybe Brazil, which has a similar type of – I mean, it, you know, it, it goes along it – does, it does connect to the hysteria around, um, you know, refusing to acknowledge, you know, basic, you know, realities of the world, like, for instance, climate change. So it's it's a mentality of denial um, that you know people have gotten so deep into that yeah their their, their own lives are uh, not even um, you know kind of like enough to change the the, the 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 discourse. Okay, we will come back to the COVID thing you know in a while because I want to tie up a couple of loops. But let's move on. What else is in the book conspiracies you've just written, and how did it eventually wind up with looking at this extraordinarily fascinating phenomenon of QAnon. Uh, yeah, I mean, I just, you know, as I said, for, for when, I, when I write things, usually it's for my own effort to try to understand um, what's going on, first of all. And I've been very confused. I don't know if you know about the Corbett Report. Start uh, from the beginning. Walk us through your process because we have the time. That's why long-form radio exists. We have tons of time. I've never been able to get to the core of why did have so many people adopted such outrageous ideas that if you if you if, if a stranger met you on the street and say, psst, psst, hey, Democrats are eating babies, you wouldn't before this era have given them anything. Certainly not the time of day. How did the QAnon phenomenon take such root? What is it triggered? What's it resonating with? Um, well, I mean, I think that, you know, there's a number of things. I mean, first of all, you know, we have seen that there is elite pedophilia and that sometimes it almost has a ritual component. You know, and that's what we're seeing with the Jeffrey Epstein case. And, you know, people are rightfully, you know, very suspicious of, um, you know, what was going on with Epstein. I mean, his suicide, whether he was actually... You know, committed suicide. Oh, wait, wait, wait. That, that's the end of the story. This stuff goes back over over a year. You know, uh, I think it was October 2017 that the QAnon thing erupted. That's long before Epstein was even on the radar. That's not true. I mean, I, I knew about Epstein. Yeah, but you're York. one of those people that pay attention. In terms of mass culture, most Americans. Jeffrey Epstein was a, you know, just maybe if they even had heard it, he was just a rich guy who palled around with Bill Clinton. Yeah, but I, I, I think that you know, there's a, you know, there are some stories, Jeffrey Epstein being a key one in England. There was there was another group of uh, members of Parliament and you know, high people high up in the BBC who were also you know having sex with you know young people. Children, you know, there's also a lot of it in Hollywood, you know, so, so there is something, there is some ground, you know, for people to, you know, be suspicious or to be angry around uh, elite uh, pedophilia. Uh, and Jeffrey Epstein is the most significant example of that that we have right now and the most exposed. Um, I think that some of the energy of QAnon, my, my particular theory is that there's a lot of anger um, that people feel towards the kind of uh, elite liberal establishment. And, and the reason for that is during the Clinton and Obama years, 
you know, there were all these promises made uh, around reducing wealth inequality and social progress. And what people experienced in their lives was the opposite. They saw that wealth inequality got worse, jobs disappeared overseas, uh, you know, our healthcare system got worse, you know, they were less protected, they were less happy, they were more miserable. And I think a lot of anger gathered at um, those, those people who kind of identified as the liberal establishment. And sometimes when you have that much anger, you know, it, it, it sometimes will take a, a sort of more distorted form, almost like a mythological form. So I think that, that that's part of what happened. Uh, and then the other part is that there are some legitimacies to there being these pedophile scandals, as with the Jeffrey Epstein case where you had Clinton, you know, Gates, you know, all, the, all these power people on this plane going to this island. You know, we still don't know. Yeah, but again, that wasn't common. In 2017, that was not common knowledge. Almost nobody knew about all that. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I think, I think that there, I, my, my memory, I could be wrong, is that there was already stuff going on, you know, around, around the whole Epstein uh, stuff. But so I, I, I disagree with you there, to be honest. But, but yeah, but the, the point is, what we now know, you know, what we've known now for a couple of years is that we do have these top-level elites, you know, who are, you know, lawyers, you know, CEOs, political figures, um, you know, palling around with Jeffrey Epstein going to this island where there was even a temple that might have been a place where there was kind of rituals, you know. So, so you know, and, and what we're learning about Epstein now is that he was most likely or almost definitely a asset of Israeli intelligence uh, and that he was somehow being used to collect you know, compromising material on a lot of these powerful figures uh, so that Israel could, you know, potentially influence their behavior or make sure they didn't do certain things and so on. You know, so there's, 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 you know, there's, there's a lot that we're discovering, you know, what's going on there. You know? mm. so, so, so essentially, I think that, you know, there was a seething rage against the liberal establishment that QAnon hooked into. Uh, and then it, you know, and, and then, you know, also my guess is, you know, the way to, you know, get something going, you know, maybe like fascism in the thirties is you don't just deal with, you know, the facts and the evidence There's also this, this, you know, unconscious pool of, um, you know, shadow material. And in our society, maybe a lot of that has to do with sexuality, sexual repression, sexual frustration, so all of that was sort of hooked into on a subconscious level, this narrative. And, and then it was magnified, amplified as a psyop. There's some very good uh, research being done now on how essentially the, and his, and his people were like, okay, like if we identify all of our enemies as pedophiles, you know, that's the most, you know, powerful way to, um, you know, put a stop on them. And, and, and was, this, them. was this uh, Steve Bannon or, um, or uh, Miller? I'm not sure who was Banner or Miller. I'd have to pull up the. Um, um, I can, if you want, while we talk, I can try to locate. There's a very good research here. Well, it's always important to localize, spe- spe- specifies, you know, specific data because there's so much rumor and innuendo, and you know, we used to have an old game called telephone, where you put a bunch of people in a circle and each one whispers a secret they're told to the next person. And by the time it gets around the circle, it's totally, totally different. This, this meme, this, this, you know, whatever you want to call it, 
Um, you had a very interesting uh, item in your in your uh, the list you sent around. You said, with Trumpism and QAnon, we have witnessed the terrifying process of cult formation happening on a massive scale. I have not studied the psychological mechanisms involved in the construction of a cult belief system in depth. I do know that it is extremely difficult to deprogram someone from a cult once they are in one. You go on to say, a cult belief structure wraps around the individual's ego-based identity to the point where it becomes much easier to ignore all the inconsistencies and logical fallacies in the cult program than to surrender the belief structure, which has become a primary source and security. Expand, please. No, I don't have to expand. That's exactly what I meant to say. <laughs> okay, but I mean, in terms of data to support this, um, how did this one take off? I mean, we're, 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 since Kennedy, we have been riven back and forth with all kinds of conspiracy theories. How did this one take off and now become apparently a fixture of the modern Republican Party? If we can look at the vote for, uh, you know, Mar- Marjorie Taylor Greene uh, the other day versus Lynn Cheney. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, they've run out of, obviously they've totally run out of ideas. I mean, to, um, you know, they know the demographics are, you know, against them. Um, and, um, uh, the country's moving in the other direction. So it's become a more and more desperate effort. Uh, it's like fascism or bust. Uh, so there's a very good piece by this guy, Jim Stewartson, uh, QAnon is an attack on democracy and must be eliminated. Uh, he's somebody who does quite a good job of uh, tracing um, the strands. And he, he puts Roger Stone and Steve Bannon um, and some other people at the center of it. Um, so that's one example. So, uh, first of all, who is Stuart? What's his background? What's he done? I don't know. So, I mean, I, I've just been starting following him on Twitter. I don't actually know what his background is, but he seems to be part of a group that's working really, really hard to, um, you know, put the, put the, put the story together. Hmm. Um, he was part of a TEDx uh, mid-Atlantic conference called Dismantling QAnon um, with Stephen Ress and, and Desiree Kane and uh, David Troy. Hmm. Um, one of the things that's interesting about it is they talk about Q is a collaborative live action role play, uh, also called a LARP. Um, that's, um, yeah, that, that it uses a lot of, uh, game theory, uh, in how, in how it, um, uh, you know, kind of gets into people's psychologies. Um, that almost then sounds like an engineered psyops program. Yes. QAnon is an engineered psyop. Exactly. There you go. Exactly. Okay. okay. Part of the right wing. So that's if it. that's true, who's behind it? The right wing. I mean, the far right, that those who benefited by it because they call, you know, all the, you know, liberals and the neoliberals pedophiles and Satanists and all of their political enemies. It was basically a strategy to smear all of Trump's political enemies. So it's the Goebbels, if the lie is big enough, the average man or woman will believe it, just kind of be sucked in because in their purview, nobody could tell a lie that big and get away with it. Um, yeah, and there's also, you know, people's lives are a little bit boring. 
and you know they want to be part of something you know profound they want to be part of you know they want to believe that they're getting you know that they're intelligent and they figured out the cues you know the to to to, to what's going on the under you know the deep state and all that stuff it feeds people's egoic desire for um you know for a sense of superiority hmm. so they're an insider in something that others are outsiders in and that makes them special exactly exactly hmm. and on another subconscious level, I mean, when I watched the Capitol uh, coup attempts with this sort of QAnon shamans, like these characters who, you know, almost looked like, you know, Burning Man hippies in a way. Um, you know, I was also thinking about, yeah, it's kind of like, they, you know, they desire to be part of something greater than yourself, they desire to be part, you know, initiated, to go through a trial by fire. You know, I think that's part of it, too. And this is something that I've written a lot about in my work is um you know the, the the idea of initiation and how modern civilization is the first time that we've sort of done away with any kind of initiation uh and that initiation you know some some incredible experience of connecting with kind of a transpersonal level of our dimension of reality is a yearning that we naturally have and when when it's not given an opportunity to develop you know, to, you know, and that's how come traditional societies around the world have, you know, they give psychedelic substances, visionary plants, or they do walkabouts or fasts um, to, to help people break through their egoic structure and have visionary experience. But when a culture denies that, then it takes more destructive forms. It could end up taking the, the form of a desire for war or genocide or, you know, something horrible, but it's still the same impulse that the human being has to transcend themselves in some way to experience some other dimension of, of being. Hmm. I wonder if part of this could be traced back to the explosion of superhero movies in Hollywood and on, on television over the last, what, 20, 25 years? I don't really see the connection. But what, 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 I mean, well, everybody yeah. wants to be their own superhero. They want to be, they want to be somebody. Remember the old line from, uh, I forget the film, I Could Have Been a Contender, Marlon Brando? They yeah. want to be players in a world that is so dehumanizing, so depersonalizing, that it's very hard to be a signal in the noise. And then, you know, just to come back, you know, to reality again, I mean, the fact is, you know, we are in a situation where, you know, there are groups that have taken a lot of control of capital and resources. Like, I think it's like, you know, eight people have more wealth and more capital than 50% of the world's population. Um, I mean, in the U.S. Wait, 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 wait. I thought it was just the U.S. The world's no. population? I believe it's global, yeah. That's seven billion people. That's, yeah. that's You're saying a handful of people have more wealth than four or three and a half billion people my understanding is that is now the case i've got to check that one you know but i i i know that a tiny handful of people families in the u.s yeah. own more than like the bottom half or something like that and that, that's yeah, that's, a, that's a supportable number but i don't know about the world but all right the problem then as you're seeing it is the incredible go ahead according to oxfam just eight men own the same wealth as half the world. Um, it's on Oxfam. Oh, my God. 
So that could be the huge root of our problem. Yeah, well, 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 well. I mean, the capital system, which is based on you know forces exploitation of resources, so that profit-seeking corporations can continue to exploit um, land and people, and uh, also, as Thomas Piketty figured out in the book Capital, has a natural tendency to to increase uh, wealth inequality as capital pools in the top. Um, you know, the, the, those are two of the factors that are making our our, our world unlivable. And, and that's really where people should be directing their anger. So are they being cleverly misdirected by design by people yeah. who – wait a minute. Let me finish the thought here because you're going to love the ending. By people who happen to live in the same planet, so when it goes down in flames, they die too. What's the logic in that? It's a good question. I've, I've, you know, That's something that a lot of people have wondered. Um, I think that part of the problem is that when you're a huge success – you, 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 it doesn't. You, 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 your, your, your reality becomes reconstituted around that. Like you can't believe that. Um, you know, it, it creates a, a confirmation bias. You mean a god complex? Yeah, I mean it could be a god complex. Well, just, if you have all the more money than God, you can control it, everything. I feel like I can't really finish any of my sentences. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Nothing after a while. Um, uh, you know, See, I'm, so, I'm sorry, Dan. I'm just trying to get clarity because you make these statements and you don't define certain things. I can't finish the statement, then I can't. I can't. I'm just feeling like I'm being barraged. Um, yeah. So, so for instance, um, you know, let's say you're a young, you know, guy in his 30s and you started a company. Oops. You're you're here. Okay. You start a company and you suddenly are worth 50 billion dollars and you're 35. You know, you're, you're most likely going to think that capitalism is good and you're most likely going to be predisposed to not believe that, you know, capitalism is causing environmental catastrophe in your lifetime, you know, because the system has worked for you to such an extent that it's going to create a set of confirmation biases. Does that make sense? I'm being quiet. (laughs) (laughs) I just wanted to finish that statement, but thank you. Okay. Well, see, these are conversations. I don't do interviews. I do conversations. And And, you know, part of the problem is we have a time lag in Skype. All the networks are having the same problem. The other part of the problem is you, you, you make a statement and then you, you make certain things in language. And I'm trying to get to the heart of what is it you're really saying. And then that, that could be just my the way I'm hearing you. So I hope you don't take offense. I'm, I'm trying to get some clarity because this has been a field astonishingly unclear let's let's do this you got you got into this and we'll get into it more in the next half hour we got about two minutes to the bottom of the hour you actually talk about a friend of yours and i know a million people who have the same experience common interests common background you talk about the same things you look at the world the same way and then suddenly QAnon comes up and describe what happened to this particular friend uh, I don't actually remember um, what you're talking about, but yeah, I mean, I do know a number of people, particularly in the spiritual uh, kind of communities or the consciousness communities who got kind of pulled into uh, the QAnon uh, narrative. Um, but um, yeah, I, I mean, you know, and, and I think that there are, re- you know, you know, there are reasons that this, you know, as we're saying, they're very seductive. Um, people feel a lot of anger they feel a lot of frustration. They feel their secrets in the society. And we know 
you know, for instance, we know that the, the mainstream media is, you know, infiltrated and to a certain extent controlled by, you know, intelligence agencies, right? We had like, I think it was Operation Mockingbird that revealed that. So people are frustrated. They know they're not getting the whole story. And they, they, they then are more prone to gravitate to some very extremist um, ideas. Mm -hmm. Okay. We are at the bottom of the hour. My guest this morning is Daniel Pinchbeck, and we're having a very intriguing conversation about conspiracies leading to the whole QAnon thing. How in the world did QAnon take such root? It appears to be firmly affixed now to uh, you know, an entire, what used to be, mainstream political party to where members of QAnon are actually standing up and proudly announcing all the things they believe, including the fact that the most recent election was stolen from Donald Trump. And in fact, um, we're living under a false reality of a fake Democratic administration with the president, Biden, sitting not in the Oval Office, but on a set somewhere. This gets really deep. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. Dimensional physics. Join Cloud 19.5 to gain access to hundreds of archive shows. Only $9.95 per month. Listen in each Saturday and Sunday to the most compelling and thoughtful broadcasts heard in over 160 countries around the world. Real research, real data, real science. The other side of midnight.com. There are so few. There in the thousands. We are billions. We are billions of people. So they need technology, very advanced technology today to control us. And that is where AI, 5G comes in. And then through the vaccine, also get rid of two thirds of us. So it's like a very, very, very dark agenda they want to play out. But I tell you, the way I see the future, oh my God, fantastic. Oh, like my mom said, fan bloody fantastic.
Hi, this is Ola Mongo from LongAnchorSportsies.com. You know, over the years I've done some 500 to 1,000 international interviews, and I just want to say the other side of the news is one of my favorite shows. So, enjoy. You're on the other side of midnight. My guest this morning is Daniel Pinchbeck, and we're discussing conspiracies that led his interest into QAnon. Was this friend of yours a guy who you edited a, a uh, book for at one time? Oh, yes, exactly, Robert Steele. Okay. Tell us about Robert and why he is a conundrum, what you did before and what he's doing now. Yeah, you know, what? what but I have... <clears throat> Excuse me, I haven't really investigated too deeply, but I know he's. Um, I think he was an intelligence um, uh, person in intelligence at one point. Well, he worked uh, for the CIA, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Yeah, um, and I believe he's been very strongly into the whole QAnon uh, discourse. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know how he ended up down that rabbit hole. Hmm. Uh, um, yeah. When was the last time you talked to him? Uh, I haven't talked to him for years, but we've just had some email exchange. Okay. So what, attra- what, what, what made him think – I mean in, in, in the thing you sent around, you said a friend of mine, a male peer who shares many similar interests, became a rabid QAnon believer or Q rackhead. When I asked him for evidence backing up his position well, – that, that was a different friend. So oh, okay, okay. Well, talk about that guy because it's really intriguing. Well, I mean, yeah, just as I said, I mean, he's, um, you know, he's sort of somebody in the festival community, somebody I like a lot, um, you know, somebody who always seems very well-meaning, and yet uh, he's completely um, down this rabbit hole. He sent me, um, you know, these films, I think one is called The Fall of the Cabal, Cabal mm-hmm. and it's completely poorly, uh, you know, researched, poorly written, and, um, you know, picks up sort of anti-Semitic ideas that the Nazis used, like the Protocols of Zion and so mm. on. Um, yeah, so I don't know. I feel, I feel, I, I, you know, maybe sometimes there's things in people's family history. You know, maybe their grandparents were, you know, part of the John Birch Society. I have no idea what, what all, the, all, the, all the things that are, I mean, you know, we also know that in America has a little bit of a, um, hysteria kind of tendency, right? Like, um, you know, Arthur Miller wrote the famous play, The Crucible, about the Salem Witch Trials. Uh, but that, that play, when it was written in the 50s, was also reflecting on the Hollywood 10 trials and Joseph McCarthy and this, you know, desire to get rid of, you know, communists, and, you know, so on, communist sympathizers. Uh, so, yeah, there is a kind of histor- hysteria, uh, paranoia sometimes in, 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 the, in the American character. And I think that comes from us really being a very kind of rootless society. You know, what what are the I mean, what are the big issues maybe over the last decades has been, yeah, that our society has just become increasingly alienated. Like there used to be civic organizations, you know, people of different you know races and, and groups and, and classes used to maybe you know come together in different ways, 
and, and now, um, and that, you know, some of that maybe is the result of the, you know, first of all, television, and now the internet, people are just sitting in their homes, um, you know, kind of um, feeling angry and frustrated and making judgments about other people. You know, you, know you bring up an interesting thing, because I wonder if the, it's the takeoff of QAnon to the status where it's taken over the Republican Party, obviously demonstrably by these votes, is in due in part to the fact that all the constituents of both parties are basically sitting at home, those who follow news, those that are politically involved and whatever, and they're – you used the term before. They're bored. So they reach out through this mechanism, this wondrous tool, the internet, and they find all this stuff and they fall down the rabbit hole. Yeah, and the ra- rabbit hole has been set up for them because it's a psyop. It's um, you know a, a sort of a, like design, like a live-action role-playing game. So you follow these cues, and you feel like you're special, and you feel you're you know you're you're getting support. You know when you join this networks, you, you know you feel like you're part of a you know in-group that that you know is is solving these puzzles and is you know going down the rabbit hole together and stuff, and um, and it leads to group identification. And then you know cult formation happens when you're when you're you know once you've you've accepted um, you know a certain set of beliefs, uh, then it becomes easier and easier to to manipulate you further. Mm. You further wrote in this very interesting piece, which really grabbed my attention. You say, writing this, I admit I am still deeply troubled by this bizarre collapse of reason and coherence that has infected so many people in my circles and far beyond. I don't entirely understand it, you go on to say, perhaps because it can't be understood. It's not logical or rational. The magnetic attraction of QAnon and Trumpism has something to do like the feeling tone of our civilization as a whole, which certainly cannot survive much longer in its current state due to the ecological mega crisis it has unleashed, as well as its other internal contradictions and that really rang my chimes because i think we're dealing with maybe something that i would term almost a psychological sublimation in other words it's a sideways apprehension a sideways fear a sideways understanding that there are things going on in the dark beneath our awareness that are not you know for our own good but we can't put our finger on it. So with Apollo and the moon and NASA's denial, there's anything up there other than rocks. This has been a vast created diversion from the fundamental problems that are at the heart of why humanity itself is in peril. Yeah. I mean, yeah, basically I agree with that. And, and, um, um, you know, to turn our attention to that is what really we have to do. Um, but it doesn't, you know, doesn't sell ratings, doesn't sell books. I mean, it's like, you know, we have to deal with the fact that, um, you know, we're, we really are tipping the balance of the ecological scales and we really have run away wealth inequality. Um, and, you know, these are, you know, these, these are things that we have to fix, you know, it's a design problem. Some these things I really addressed in, in my uh, third book, How Soon Is Now, a uh, book that has uh, introductions from Russell Brand and Sting. Mm. And 
effort to think about the um, ecological crisis from a system design perspective. What was that great book that Stuart Brand wrote, West Coast? It was it was a it was a trade paperback, pretty thick. It had tons of intriguing stuff in it. Oh, what was the name of that? Ah, it'll come to me. Anyway, <clears throat> uh, we're going to be joined in the third hour by Ron Gerbron and Georgia Lambert. Uh, so we're going to kind of fill out this conversation. In in the meantime, we got about twenty minutes. Let's let's move now from the whole QAnon mystery into what do we do about it? How do we bring, you know, how do we talk to people that we used to be close to and now it's almost like you're talking to a stranger because no matter what you bring up, they will just automatically discount it as, oh, that's fake news or, oh, that's, you know, politics or, oh, that's, uh, you know, the the networks or, in other words, there's no reference you can bring up up to and including the courts where they have any trust anymore in institutions that we used to all kind of live by. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a difficult situation. I mean, ho- hopefully the fact that the, uh, the promised storm didn't happen uh, is a bit of an opening. Uh, and there is apparently some soul searching going on among you know, a number of people who went into the whole QAnon thing uh, because, you know, they, they were convinced that, this major upheaval was going to happen with, you know, Trump keeping government and so on. So for some that's popping the, uh, the fantasy. And so then you have an opportunity then to, you know, look at other, other options and, and other belief structures. Um, um, so that, 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 that's a hopeful thing. Well, given how many people are part of this movement, party, philosophy, whatever you want to call it. And you talk about how, Cults have to be members have to be deprogrammed. How do we deprogram a third or more of America? Uh, it's not really a third or more. I mean, I, mean, I think the, the 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 statistic I heard is like 30 million people uh, are you know somewhere on the spectrum of uh, believing QAnon. Yeah, but only 150 million voted in the last election, so that's about a third, or well, maybe mm-hmm. maybe a little, a little less. Yeah. But it it also varies, you know. Um, I've, I've been looking at kind of testimonials of people who have come out of it and they sat for interviews and they talk about why they can't understand where they got into it in the first place. It's like, you know, a, a kind of a sunrise, some awareness dawned that what they were being fed was only a layer to a deeper search for what's really a truth. How, how, do, how do we self-actualize so people will figure out they've got to do this individually? Um, I mean, you know, somebody wanted to give me like a $10 million, you know, media budget, I would try to come up with something, (laughs) but I I think you'd have to speak to them in the language. Um, you know, I mean, you have to, you know, you have to kind of use some of the techniques of propaganda, but you have to speak to people in a language that they understand and feel safe with, but then also, you know, try to show them that uh, they took some wrong steps. Uh, which is kind of what I tried to do in that essay that you keep citing. And, and by the way, people are interested. Uh, my newsletter is published on Substack, and um, it's free. I mean, I just you know write thought pieces like the one Richard is talking about. Uh, so feel free to go and and, and subscribe to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, with everything that I that I say uh, to be part of a discussion around these things. 
Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, the other thing is, as I'm saying, is that there are points of agreement. Um, you know, there is, you know, I, I think there is a sort of, you know, technocratic uh, machine, you know, of control. And, you know, and I do understand, for instance, the conspiracy theories that are, you know, becoming popular around World Economic Forum and the Great Reset. Um, you know, Carl Schwab, who runs the World Economic Forum, just started this new week of their program on the Great Reset. And the first person he had on was, you know, the premier of China, uh, whatever his name is. And, um, you know, as as I said, we have a problem where we have a, um, we've created a system where wealth is increasing for this tiny few, where everybody else is getting kind of shafted. And there's more and more technologies of control that are more and more powerful. So we're, we're looking, and we see in a country like China, we see that like, you know, social credit systems, technological control to a very high degree. And I think that you know, we in the West, we don't want to go in that direction. So you know, we're going to have to fight against that. And um, you know, I mean, I'm very interested in, for instance, this woman, Catherine Austin Fitz, who's an economist. Right. Uh, who, I, I don't know if you've checked into her at all. Oh, yeah. No, no. Catherine is... Uh, really quality, a quality person who was part of the system, looked around, realized around 9-11 that trillions of dollars had just disappeared. Yeah. So she kind of believes that in 2008, the global financial system basically died. And since then, it's been kept alive by artificial kind of um, injections of invented money from the central banks. And the last few years with COVID, this has gone off the charts where it's like a hockey stick curve where they're, they're just pushing so much money into the system to keep it, to keep it going. But eventually that's going to have to break. And she believes that the central bankers are aware that, um, you know, that, 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 that in a way they need to extend this crisis uh, of the lockdowns and so on to, 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 until they've come up with a new economic model. And that economic model is very likely to involve cryptocurrency. Now, the problem with cryptocurrency, according to Catherine Austin Fitz, I mean, it's sort of funny because I have a lot of friends who believe it's like a liberating tool. Also, a lot of friends who just made a lot of money off crypto because they were in there early. But the problem is that if we were to shift from hard currency to crypto, um, all money becomes, as Catherine Fitz says, more like, like credits on a company store because it's all on the blockchain. It's all trackable. So in the way that they are now starting to turn off people's Twitter or YouTube or Facebook, if they say something that goes against the establishment line, they'll also be able to turn off your money if they decide they don't like what you're saying, which is basically what's happening in China right now. Um, So we can see the sort of movement of society in this direction towards control. Really, Dan, it's nuts because given that everybody uses a phone or a computer, right? And no phone or computer is is problem free. The problems are replete. I mean, Robin used to curse at her Mac and took it down to the store, and they could never find out, you know, what was wrong with it and all that. It's like who in their right mind, the ob- operative term being right mind, would trust their money to a digital system, which we can see every day fails in all directions. Well, we, we've already our money is already in a digital system. I mean, the banks. Yeah, are but it's digital. backed up. There's no single point failure. You're if, when you transfer money, and I do that a lot. But it's backed up by currency in the bank. To some extent, I mean, um, I mean, it's a fr- there's a fractional reserve system, right? For 
you know, the banks have like, you know, 120s or something. Of, of, of the, I mean, if everyone was to go and run and demand their cash from the banks, the banks would not be able to give. Well, them that's credit. like insurance policies. If everybody collected on their policy, the, the insurance companies would go broke. Look at yeah, hurricanes. Yeah. However, you know, messed up the system is now. Uh, it's quite possible that you know, central bankers, you know, and the people involved in the World Economic Forum, are looking towards the possibility of a crypto-based solution. But could actually be much more worst and, and and allow for a lot more centralized control. Ironically, even though Bitcoin middle blockchain is touted as a decentralized technology. So did you ever? Was, sorry to interrupt, but did you ever read a short story by Arthur C. Clarke called "The Day the Twerms Came"? T W E R M S. If I did, I don't remember it. It's been a long time. Oh, it's I, stunning and totally appropriate. Arthur had a, a very, very diabolical, wicked sense of humor. So he wrote this short story about Earth being conquered by an alien civilization. And they're sitting in orbit and they're looking at the nuclear weapons and the battle fleets and the hypersonics and the lasers. And they're basically saying, OK, how can we conquer Earth? And Arthur's last line was, they selected a tiny principality in Central Europe called Switzerland. In terms of the banking system? You mean? Yes! Yeah. The aliens got control of the private bank accounts and they own the earth without firing a shot. So, you know, there have been bright people who kind of anticipated this. I would recommend people read more science fiction because I think the whole Bitcoin thing is a total, I mean, worse than AI. I think this is our real Achilles heel. If we go to digital currency, not backed up by something that's real, we're dead or totally controllable. Because if they control your money, forget Twitter. They control what you eat, where you live, what you breathe. They control everything. Why would you give that away to a digital system, which we know can be hacked and controlled. Don't mm-hmm. everybody speak at once? <laughs> um, yeah, no, I mean, I, so, I, mean, I think that Catherine Austin Fitz's um, analysis is very in, in, interesting. And, um, you know, it concerns me that, uh, you know, the World Economic Forum, which is made up of all these powerful neoliberal you know, power brokers, you know, is, is, is kind of headlining the Chinese premier you know, and, and, you know, and I think that, you know, one issue that we really have in the book, it's what I really came down on in the end, is uh, we have a psychopath problem, you know, because we've created these pyramidical structures um, that are hierarchical, like corporations and, and governments and so on. The problem is that the, often the most psychopathic uh, characters are the ones who rise to the top of these power systems. Because they're the ones who have no moral compunction around, um, you know, whether it hurts lives or ecosystems or communities or cultures, um, you know, as long, as long as it increases their power. So this is the problem we have with corporations, the problem we have with governments like China's and, and you know, other governments, you know, Russia and so on. So, um, but again, don't they understand or are we dealing with the God complex that this kind of behavior, this pathological behavior is going to wind up killing everybody and them. So as I said, one, one, one reason is the confirmation bias. When, you've already, when you're starting to amass that level of power, you, you have a natural assumption that the system is good. 
and and also they assume that in some way or other they'll be safe. I mean, whether it's going, I mean, that's why Bezos. Oh, you're going to hate me. I got to interrupt again. Have, 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 you, have you been watching what's going on in Russia right now tonight with Navalny and Putin and what Navalny did, which was what two or three hour documentary on all the incredible corruption of Putin with numbers and specifics and evidence and bank accounts. And of course, Putin is freaking out. And the biggest claim of Navalny is he spent a billion dollars with a B on a house on the Black Sea, a mansion, but come on. And no one's asking, you know, the obvious. Who could spend that much money on a personal living space unless it's much, much more like a, a redoubt? to survive the end of civilization? Yeah, that would make a lot of sense. I mean, you know, there's an apocalyptic uh, Christian uh, ideology kind of uh, in Russia, very prevalent, just as there is in the U.S. with the, with the, with the fundamentalists, the evangelicals in the U.S. So, yeah, it's quite possible. I mean, I mean um, um, yeah, so, you know, there are different survival ideas that, you know, I mean, my friend Doug Rushkoff wrote a great piece where these, you know, hedge funds, uh, you know, hundred billionaires or billionaires invited him to speak about the future, and they were really most interested in, you know, what would, how could they, how would they be able to survive, uh, you know, in their islands, and how would they be able to control their servants when money didn't work anymore? Oh, how interesting! People's brains to control them and so on. So wait, it, wait, wait. It, it, the, the, these husband guys actually invited a futurist in to tell them how to survive the apocalypse. When did this happen? Uh, Doug Rushkoff, he wrote a piece about it in Medium maybe a year and a half ago. It's a very nice piece. Oh, it's very recent. Because yeah. nobody – I mean look, as a human being, I don't care how rich you are. There's only so many meals you can eat, so many cars you can drive, so many planes you can fly. In, in other words, we are limited beings in a 3D world. So what is what is Putin really up to? I mean, a billion dollars is a pretty nice house. Yeah, I mean, you know, I guess that begins to lead back into questions around technologies that we're not aware of. You know, um, um, who knows? You know, they may, you know, like. Um, I'm sure that's stuff that you've dealt with. And, yeah, and have you heard about the entire underground city somewhere under the Urals that Putin has been also quietly building? Uh, no, I haven't heard about that. In fact, I have the Navalny uh, video on, on, on my list to watch, but I haven't, I haven't yeah, watched me, it yet. Yeah, me, me too, me too. I'm dying to see you know, why he's still alive. Okay, so we got about five minutes to the top of the hour. Um, what have we not covered from your perspective on QAnon until we blow everybody's minds in the last hour. Yeah, no, I mean, just to recap, I mean, I mean, my perspective is that, um, you know, there are reasons that people should um, be furious at a system that is so, you know, brutally um, based on inequality. And I mean, also, I mean, like, look at the U.S. with our, you know, tragic like healthcare system. I mean, it's, I mean, I feel it's much safer in Mexico. Uh, than in the U.S., you know, I mean, I mean, it's just unbelievable, um, and, you know, and that that's just the greed of the, you know, the pharmaceutical companies, and, you know, so, so U.S. is basically a society that's been destroyed by by the greed of the powerful, 
and people should be focusing their their anger on that, you know, and and not on not on these peripheral well, issues. If we can go mainstream political, <clears throat> dangerous. But I, I did go I ahead. I did want to mention. Um, I want you know in in the book Constranoia, which I also recommend people get. It's a short read. Um, you know, I also look at the Bill Gates issue, and you know, the Corbett report is a kind of um, as in, you know looking at. Gates as a you know malevolent you know from a conspiracy perspective Robert F Kennedy Jr has been also I don't really come down thinking that you know Gates is consciously doing bad I think he's actually doing the best that he can from his perspective but the problem is that he's locked into the logic of hyper exploitative capitalism and uh, well, look at what made know, Bill Gates Bill Gates I mean the system worked brilliantly so for, for him so for, the, the Gates Foundation, um, you know, its endowment is made up of many of the worst polluting companies in the world, whether it's like Monsanto or Dow or Coca-Cola or Exxon or Petroleum, you know, so, you know, and so in many cases, the foundation is trying to work with children and, the, you know, the Niger or whatever who've been injured by this corporate malfeasance of these companies that are actually supported by the Gates Foundation. And then on the other hand, they're trying to fix this damage. So it's this old patriarchal and paternal model of philanthropy that is simply just not, not working and not functioning. And uh, no, no one person should have this type of authority and this type of power. Um, you know, but I, I, you know, personally, I don't think that he's, you know, planning. To, I mean, then, then there's also the question of conscious and subconscious motivations. I mean, um, you know, and it, you know, he is doing some good, you know, with the vaccines, but on the other hand, you know, in the same way that he once managed to control the, you know, digital operating system through the internet, it's almost like he's now seeking to control the, you know, the biological operating system of humanity through public health and vaccines. So it's it's very tricky. Well, given, I mean, he was doing things like that famous TED talk that he gave a few years ago, where he basically warned of what, what of the COVID nineteen experience, another pandemic, <clears throat> and across there are folks who think because he had foresight to say this is going to happen, that he was part of making it happen, so he makes another twenty, thirty, hundred billion dollars. Where are you on that? I do not think I do not think that's the case. I mean I, I think as I said, I think his you know his he has he has positive motivations, um, but he's he 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 he's a he's he's working through the binary engineering logic and exploitative capitalist structure, which he's like the huge beneficiary. So it limits uh, his, uh, you know, way of responding is, 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 you know, it's a, it's a one dimensional view of the world. See, the um, thing that's always struck me about Bill Gates, and we got about 60 seconds till, till we have to make a break here at the top of the hour. And then we bring on more interesting people to talk to. I've always been struck that Gates was a nerd in love with what he was doing, the revolution. And because of all that money and the pressures, he kind of had to evolve into someone who was, you know, of the world. But in fact, he was really, he, he's really kind of naive. He doesn't really understand human motivations at a deep level. And I think that's gotten him into an awful lot of trouble. And of course, there are people out there who think I'm, you know, assembling or lying or whatever. That's their right. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. When we come back, we're going to be joined by Georgia Lambert, 
and Ron Gerbron. And this conversation is going to take a very interesting turn. Don't go away. Midnight.com. Talk radio with pictures on demand. Liberate your hyperdimensional time scale and non-linearly access over 400 hours of conversation at the cutting edge of science and thought. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive content that fits your interests and time schedule. Filter episodes by guest or subject. Membership costs $9.95 a month, $0.33 cents a day. Talk radio with pictures on demand. The other side of midnight.com. And we are back. <laughs> Nope, no music. My computer has said, ah! Anyway, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to bring on Ron. Let me get a, a switch thing here, because in that problem, I was unable to... Um, uh, let's see. Do we do we have Ron on uh, on Skype or on Blog Talk? Keith, just tell me. Hello, Keith. Okay, so he's on Blog, blog talk. talk. Okay. Why don't we get him on Skype so I don't have to worry about Blog Talk? And I'll bring uh, Georgia on first. I think I will, if I can do this properly. Uh, why is this not working? Why is it not working? Uh, uh, Georgia, are you there? I am. Can there you, you hear are. me? There you are. Okay, <laughs> okay. Sorry, my screen suddenly divided into four. I've never seen this format before. I hate computers that change formats on me during the middle of the show. So, you <laughs> have you been able to listen? I've been listening to about the last 40 minutes. Super. Thoughts? Well, I have really two points about the whole QAnon thing. Um, the first one is a sort of lighthearted point, but um, but true nonetheless. And that is that I see. some of the uh, the ideas that are being touted by the QAnon folk are really very old thought forms. The idea of eating babies goes back to accusations against the Mongol hordes, the the Vikings, uh, you you name it. In fact, there was a a British television show uh, about. 30 years ago, that was very Monty Python-esque. If you're a Monty Python fan, you would have loved this show. It was called Black Adder. And it was a comedy show like Monty Python, but it was set 
uh, during medieval period, the medieval period. It was set during the Renaissance. And Dio was so well known that one of their main characters was actually called the baby eating bishop of Bath and Wells. Oh, my God. Yeah. And uh, if you've got a really quirky sense of humor, look up Black Adder. Uh, it's, it's, again, very Monty Python-esque. So some of these ideas are just cycling around in a new form. Um, the, the second point I wanted to make is the idea of different realities, which, Richard, we've talked about before on numerous occasions. In the metaphysical model, there's this idea that our outer environment is a reflection of our inner environment. And I'd like to explain that. Uh, I'll, I'll give you an example, a sort of mental model here. If you can imagine a room absolutely plain uh, with a, a, an electrical wire hanging from the ceiling with a light bulb attached, and the light bulb is on, uh, and the light is equally spreading to the four walls, the floor, and the ceiling. Uh, the idea is that our consciousness is radiating out from us at all times. We're radiating out our thoughts, our feelings, there we are. Even, even our actions. And so... Uh, in, in the model, you've got the light bulb radiating light out equally to all parts of the room. However, if you put a lantern around that light bulb, one of those old tin lanterns that you saw in pioneer days that has, you know, punctures in it and you've got little stars and ah, cut, yes, cut, yes. cut into the tin lantern. A very, very, very primitive planetarium projector. There you go. Then that light that's radiating outward is creating stars and moons on the walls, which is the outer environment. And the consciousness then seeing the stars and moons on the walls says, oh, that's absolutely backing up what I feel, what I know. And it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. You see it in, in fundamental religions, too, that their view of reality is a reflection of their own subconscious beliefs. And as those beliefs are radiated out, they magnetically draw from the environment that which is like that. And so what's being fed back to them is a view that self-fulfills their own internal beliefs. And it's a very, very difficult thing to get out of because the outer environment is to them reinforcing um, their own positions. And logic will not work. Uh, any kind of logic uh, or facts does not get through that. The only thing that gets through is the bigger reality impinging upon the little reality that they make. Hmm. <clears throat> was, was that a response, Dan? <laughs> Daniel? Yes. Oh, there you are. Okay. I heard some strange noise. Uh, uh, Georgia, let me, let me, let me put you on, on hold for a moment. Just uh, sure. Theoretically. 
Ron, Ron, uh, are you with us? Yes, I am, and that wasn't me making oh, the honking okay, noise. Okay, okay. Yeah, that uh, was, yeah. Our other conversee, is that a word? Oh, well, it is now. Uh, this morning is Ron Gerbron, who's a generalist. He's working on uh, a whole bunch of stuff on projects that we've uh, gone into. And last night we had the kind of an epiphany, and what I'm going to talk about toward the end of the show in terms of what I have figured out vis-a-vis QAnon is partly due to Ron's really good research. So, Ron, you've been listening. What are your thoughts on what we talked about? Uh, oh, despite what good. you just, despite what you just said, and thank you for that. Uh, the uh, yeah, what I like to say first is couple of couple of stats. Uh, the best figures that we know of indicate that uh, going to a restaurant gives you like a one percent chance of being exposed to the virus. And that has been that has been tested. They always come up with the same numbers. It's a very very small possibility. You you mentioned that as one of the things that was causing a raging endemic. Uh, but uh, and I sent you a link to something about the Bat Woman, mm-hmm. the uh, uh, Doctor Shit Doctor She at the Wuhan lab, who's apparently back there. Um, and the uh, that team that went in is uh, that went over to China has finally gotten to talk to her. I don't know if that's going to help much, but. You know, this, is, this is the international team from who? The World Health yes. Organization? Yes, that's what the article's about. Okay. Um, it was just posted a couple hours ago. I just happened to find it. I was trying to remember how to spell her name. And I ran across that article. I said, oh, I'll just send them that. Uh, but uh, furthermore, the one of the things I, I would like to clear up is I'm pretty sure I have never read any of the q I've only heard about it, you know, so I'm, I'm modestly conversant with uh, general conspiracy theory. But for one thing, uh, it is not primarily the Republicans. It's not a it's not a political party thing. Um, it just isn't. And I mean, I don't like most of the Republicans. That's not you know, it's not I'm not saying that for personal reasons. And I'm not going to throw a bunch of links or anything up in the air for that. I mean, that's just also, when I say stuff, I stand by it. If you look it up and it's something else, tell me otherwise. But, you know, people shouldn't riff about stuff like that. But the uh, as far as the as far as the dreaded satanic pedophile cannibal aspect of the uh, of the secret elite. uh, Strangely, I have to say that for much of my life, I've believed that that's probably true. And I'll tell you why. Um, Sherlock Holmes has been analyzed by um, lots and lots of psychologists. The, um, you know, as a, even though a fictional character, I mean, he's, he's got all kinds of um, street cred and presence and everybody loves Sherlock, but he is what's known as a high-functioning sociopath. And the reason I bring him up is that most really Yeah, but wait, 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 wait. Sherlock Holmes is a fictional no, character from the mind of wait a minute. Conan Doyle. Well, I could talk about me, but most people don't know me. <laughs> it's, it's a fact of life that bright people tend to be sociopaths. A sociopath is not a psychopath. There's no, there's no ingrained desire to go kill people. It's just they lack what are considered fundamental emotional structures um, in the case for most people. And Bill Gates is certainly one of those, and he does have a public reputation of being somewhat of an SOB. And I cite his evidence, his own uh, statement in an interview when they were talking about what he does with his wealth, and he said that each of his children is locked into the will for $1 million, and they're not going to get a penny of anything else because he thinks, well, they should work for it. 
And I mean, it's coming out of someone who, yeah, he worked for it. He was a computer nerd in college at a very expensive college, which obviously somebody was paying for. And he came up with something that made him a bunch of money very, very quickly. And so that's not really the same thing as working your way up somewhere because I don't, I'm not a big believer in Horatio Alger either, but that's me venting a bunch of steam about the, um, <laughs> um, all of that stuff, you know, just don't get stuff wrong. It raises my blood pressure. That's probably not good for me. Uh, but as far as the other stuff, I thought we were talking about Uamuamua and that's not really. Well, we're tonight. not, we're, we're not there yet. Just, just hold your horses. Okay. Oh, okay. Yes. Because, uh, yeah, I'm on top, but I'm on top of the rest of it. So what did you want my opinion on? Well, the whole conversation. Is there any point where you disagree violently or calmly? Uh, with the uh, with the conversation you've been having, you've been having with Mr. Pinchett there? Mm-hmm. Did I get the name right? Pinchbeck. Uh, Pinchbeck. Pinchbeck. I am ter- I'm terribly sorry. It's. Uh, I know they say it's better to... Um, ask for forgiveness than permission but it's it's i either have to ask ahead of time what was that name again or i just have to get it wrong and get corrected so yeah i do want to get it right pitchback yeah um well i have a theory about the people that are involved in these in these weird cults and it's not really the same as george's or probably most everybody else's i think because and this is why i brought up the sociopath part um uh, when I was growing up in a very conservative area, you know, in the 50s and 60s in Pennsylvania, that's, I mean, that's really old school. That's Norman Rockwell time. And there were plenty of people that I was aware of that were really, really strange. But the only time you found that out was when you had them privately um, in conversation. In other words, a very nice person that everybody trusted. And uh, if you... Uh, if you went over to visit them because they invited you over for tea, and then 15 minutes after you get there, he put your hand, his hand on your knee, and you go, "What? Mm. What? What was this?" See, that stuff used to be private, and it was that was ha- that was the cultural cover. It didn't make any. It didn't make the people with uh, strange ideas any worse off. They didn't mind, but you kept it to yourself. And then in the 60s, you started to get this movement. And it wasn't just the uh, free love and um, cannabis idea. It was that uh, you should wear all your emotions on your sleeve. And, you know, the whole, the whole mood ring business. Just cover yourself with it. And uh, <laughs> that's ultimately a bad idea if it turns into a movement. Because now we're to a point where the government wants to take the power to force everyone to um, accept any outre behavior whatsoever as a protected class. And that's obviously leading to a lot of problems. And it's not something that came out of natural science. This is a, this is a synthetic concept. And I think that's the problem. You know, rather than delving people's psyches because everybody's got a little dark pool, sometimes it's a little dark puddle, sometimes at the whole deep ocean of darkness uh, down in there somewhere. And if they're forced to wear that externally in order to justify their part in society, I think that leads to a society itself like a bunch of zombies that run out of victims. And that's kind of what we're seeing happening. And as far as the rich people go, I have no doubt that the whole eyes wide shut is um, true in some circles. They trust each other 
They just don't trust anybody else. And yet they keep that stuff private. You know, Jeffrey Epstein's been, I think, showing up in People magazine and stuff since at least like uh, the 90s. But, you know, most of us don't read stuff like that, so we never noticed him. He was just another person on the societal pages. But, uh, you know, but they've been keeping track of these things. And so, you know, it's there's an old there's an old joke in uh, Britain that any time a member of parliament is pulled out of a car accident and they're, um, you know, they're stripping them down for surgery in the hospital. They're always wearing women's underwear. <laughs> and uh, I, I I don't know if that's clinically true, but, you know, in, in Britain, it's, you know, it's widely held. That it's a meme. Yeah, it's a meme that the upper yeah, exactly. classes are are perverted at some level. So you're saying the QAnon thing has extended this British kind of cultural supposition to American mainstream living and politics. Right. And By it's not design. terribly healthy, even remember, though it's remember, true. Yeah, Daniel, yeah. Daniel, jump in here. You're saying this isn't just an accident. This has been carefully, carefully nurtured. Um, I'm trying to understand what uh, the gentleman believes is true, whether he, be- he believes that this ritual satanic abuse and child cannibalism is, is true. Uh, that's what I thought, thought, I, thought he, I heard. I believe, it, I believe it exists. I don't believe it's necessarily everything that happens. Mm-hmm. There, are, there are people that are that strange, and they do manage to function. They just mm-hmm. try and keep it out of the public eye. But to me, that's- when you say that, it's quite interesting because it's an example – of there's something in us, some you know that that I feel also that 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 finds something tantalizing and sort of exciting and, and almost like uh, magnetizing around this um, this idea of, of of this ritual, you know, you know that that associated with these powerful figures and so on. But there isn't any well, evidence. So what? So what's you know? There, so what's what's the belief founded on? Uh well, like I said, everybody's prone to have possible urges. That's what your fantasy life is supposed to be for. Uh, you don't necessarily ever think you're going to actualize them. But people that feel like they're above all restrictions, you know, through wealth and station, um, will uh, they'll go ahead and they'll say, you know what, I might as well, I might as well just do this. I can cover, I can cover my ass, and. Uh, yeah, it doesn't get into the public. Uh, listen, I know people that live yeah. like five miles from me in the one of the richest places on earth who spend more money than you could imagine every year to keep their name off of the financial pages. They are so rich, it's frightening. And they spend a lot of money to make sure that nobody else is publicly aware of that. But But to me, you're basically just indicating what we were talking about before why there's something about this QAnon narrative that's so magnetizing for people. Because to me, you've made, you've made a, a sort of leap where you're like, I know that people have dark pools, and I agree with that. I know that people are weird, people in power act in certain, can, can act above the law, and therefore perhaps this is true. You know? and so, 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 but, but the fact is there isn't any evidence for it. I mean, like Pizzagate. You know, they, they, they broke into the pizza restaurant. There were no tunnels. There were no, you know, prison cells, you know. So, so, so what does it take to, to, to say, even though this is where in, in that essay that, that um, you know, that um, yeah, I, we were referencing before, there's a different, you know, the, we, we have to look at our capacities to think and to feel and, and to will. 
and to really be make sure that we keep them separate because we might. No, I got you. You know, yeah. You're getting yeah. You're getting into you're getting into um, the uh, specifics, and uh, but in terms of why we don't see it, well, that's the point. If something's hidden, you don't see it, and people may the people may have like sideways knowledge of it through someone they know or the deep suspicions that develop when you know somebody for a, over a long period of time and just occasionally a little something leaks out and it kind of adds up in your mind and you go, that's a weird person. You know, and I mean, I mean I'm sure you've had friends where they just one day they happen to say something just casually because they trust you. And it's not necessarily about cannibalism or pedophilia. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, you go and, you know, something in your mind goes, whoa, he thinks that? Wow. You know, because you just never knew until that moment, right? These are the lingering vestiges of that restraint that used to be there. I just think typecasting everybody as a protected class brings all this out to the surface in a very unhealthy way. I don't care what color somebody is. I don't care what religion they have. Uh, I only care about the aspects of their personality that they try to slap me in the face with. Then I will react. And everybody has yeah, that. Yeah, but isn't you know, that something that right? backed up by a thing we call the First Amendment? Why should people have to hide unusual behavior <laughs> with certain boundaries just because you don't like it? Oh, no, no. I didn't tell – I would never tell anybody to hide it. It's just – Yeah, but you're, you're, saying, you're coming out against a politics which tries to equalize opportunity and reduce discrimination based on people's color – Behavior, How does it, economics, all these unequalizers in our society, and you seem to be arguing that we shouldn't be trying to do that. Well, I think it should be second nature to do that. But if in it terms isn't, of trying to do it, you can't force people to be smarter. I mean, in the in, in the 1950s, it was it was human nature to own other people. I mean, just a generation or two, you know, a whole. Subcategory of Americans were owned by other Americans, and you know that went away over a hundred years. Partially, it certainly is still with us now, but it requires every single day an assiduous, conscious effort to bring equality to a society founded on fundamental inequality. Ah, you actually give you actually give me a way to make the distinction. Uh, you know, uh, you know what indentured servitude is, sure, right? Sure. Yeah, and uh, that that is a type of slavery, but it's it's you know it's a willing thing. So you know you're you're selling yourself to me for a certain period of time, uh, which strangely often doesn't run out very fast. No, wait, wait, wait. Uh, a long-term return- contract is not equivalent to slavery. Period. No, it's not. But indentured servitude was how an awful lot of people got over here. From Europe originally, uh, because they were contracted to work in some, you know, in some factory or something. But they were getting paid; their debt was being paid off by their wages. But they also had to buy their food and pay something for their shelter, and that was all in-house. And so it was kind of a revolving, uh, revolving dish, and it just they never got off of it. But I'm not saying that any of that is bad. It can it can go bad. It can be bad. 
But I mean, you know, where do you think you get workhouses or the uh, seamstresses? I think we're drifting a little far afield. I want to go back to the consciousness thing because Georgia. Well, it's just it got off. Okay, it got awfully leftist, and so I just wanted. Again, that's a political statement. What do you mean leftist? You mean Republicans don't want equality? Of course they do. Well, then why are you saying leftist? Well, let me finish the sentence. You you don't want to you don't want to force equality. You want to allow equality. It's a it's a difference in mindset. Oh, interesting, interesting. Parsing, I'm willing to accept. Parsing our hmm? words, Georgia, step in, please. <laughs> Go for it. I actually have a question uh, to throw into this mix, and maybe one of you will be able to answer it. The idea that uh, that's part of the QAnon thing about uh, this is all part of sa- a satanic ritual. And that it's worldwide, you know, the elites around the world are involved in all of these practices. Um, in other countries that are not especially Christian, uh, do they have these same views that this is satanic? Or is this just uh, a sort of Christian darkness that is peculiar to the West? That's a Daniel hmm. question. Um, that's a very good question, actually. Um, um, <laughs> thinking, I, thinking, I don't, thinking. <laughs> yeah, I don't know the answer to that. I don't know if Japan or uh, Thailand, um, you know, has has this kind of occult concept. Well, wait, um, wait, I saw demonstrations in Germany, yeah. huge crowds with flags unfurled, extolling the reality of QAnon. So Georgia, we a, have. But we, it's a Christian. But that's a Christian-based then, country. Okay, okay. I'm, I'm talking about the Hindus and the Buddhists. Do they see this as a satanic thing? I mean, the whole idea of Satan is basically Christian. Well, no. Hindus and Buddhists, uh, you know, they have an idea that we're in a cycle, like a yuga cycle, and right. then we're at this period called the Kali Yuga, exactly. which is the age of materialism and the age of destruction. Uh, which has a certain, you know, process and, and ends in a culmination, and then and then a, a turnover to a golden age again, maybe after a period of pause or or emptiness or something. Right, but yeah. but I'm talking yeah. about the particular satanic, you know, baby eating sort <laughs> of pedophilia thing. Is that just a sort of Western skew on reality? As far as I know, it is. Uh, just a Western skew. I mean, I think that you know, other cultures have their other other mythologies, um, and you know, I mean, I do. You know, earlier in the in the program, Richard was talking about this idea that the virus maybe came from outer space, um, and maybe it was introduced by you know, sort of aliens. You know, no, or no, something. no, 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 no. Did, I didn't say. I said extraterrestrials, aliens, or yeah, you know. extraterrestrials. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, and actually, like. <laughs> Well, there's. Well, uh, hang on, hang on. Let's clear up a point. In this definition, aliens do not have our DNA. They're truly alien. Whereas extraterrestrials can be humans. They can be relatives of humans. We're an incredibly old species with relatives all over the damn galaxy. And the breakaways, in terms of this description, are Nazis that left with very extraordinary technology, including anti gravity at the end of World War II. They've established a civilization in the solar system apart from Earth. This is Richard Dolan's model. And in my model, they want to come back and own the Earth, and this is their second major event of this plan 
the first one was 9-11. So, I mean, in some ways I resonate with that. Like, I, I do think that there may be an alien... Uh, oh, you're going to love the last half hour of the show tonight, then, because I've got new data. Yeah, I mean, we're certainly seeing, you know, both anecdotally and in terms of what's happening in the news, you know, tremendous uh, movement around, you know, aliens and UFOs. I mean, um, the Israeli guy who was the head of the space, you know, weaponry program in Israel came out and said that, you know, the U.S. and Israel governments have been in touch with uh, a galactic federation of ETs, and then we had a base on Mars and so on. Um, you know, very interesting. You, ne- you never know if these things are sort of controlled disinformation or if he's just speaking from the hip because he's 86. Or if it's controlled disclosure. Remember Brookings? Brookings said we'd all, I'm paraphrasing, we'd all freak out in the 1950s if we found out we weren't alone and we had relatives out there. So they recommended a decades-long program of education, cultural, movies, film, you know, schools, upper classes, lower classes, everything culture as a whole, to get people ready for the idea that the human race is not alone, and that if we didn't have all that, we would freak out and we would kill civilization. This was the real fear of Margaret Mead, who I worked with at the American Museum. She was part of the Brookings panels. My model has been that we have been living with this projection of fear of the other as a control mechanism for decades long after people would have would say a la Star Trek or Star Wars or whatever, uh, oh, it's it's those guys out there. Welcome. Yeah, I mean, one of my books, uh, the 2012 book, I, I had about 100 pages exploring the crop circle patterns that appear in England and ended up convinced there are communication from mainly a benevolent uh, you know, kind of ET presence, you know, something like a galactic federation. Uh, mm-hmm. and then if we look at abductions and other other information. I'll tell you what, let's hold it. Hold it. We're at the bottom of the hour. And the next half hour, I guarantee, is going to blow your mind. So fasten your seatbelts. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. And we shall return. Stay tuned. If you dare. Midnight.com. Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hogland and his fascinating guests. Support the broadcast and don't miss another groundbreaking conversation. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Search the archives of over 180 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. 
theothersideofmidnight.com. Welcome back, everyone. Last half hour. I'll tell you what, if you want to join the conversation, what you want to do, you want to call this number, uh, which I'll find here in a moment, 917-889-8802. 917-889-8802. Okay. Um, we've delayed a lot of... Uh, background, as everyone would say, certainly if you're in the lawyer class. So I think it's time to do a little bit of what I might call timelining. Sometimes when you're looking for for causation, one useful place to begin is to look at uh, potential uh, correlations. So what I want you all to do is go back to the um, other side of midnight.com Click on tonight's banner, which says the continuing conspiracies of Q. That will take you to the guest page. Click on my fast links right under that banner. That will take you to my section of radio with pictures. Scroll down to item number four. This whole thing, uh, Daniel, uh, about the storm coming all originated on the night of October 6, 2017, when the president assembling the Joint Chiefs, their wives, a lot of other military brass, including uh, you know civilians from the Pentagon, and their wives held a dinner at the White House, and just before they all went into dinner, and a White House dinner is, you know, it's it's really something. So it was a very high energy, high spirit evening. And he stands in, in front of all his assembled guests before they go into dinner, and the press are there. He's invited them in, and he makes the most bizarre statement and reiterates it several times. And the statement was, this could be the calm before the storm. And the press, of course, says, Mr. President, what storm? And all he says for the next two days is, You'll find out. He doesn't describe anything. And, of course, you know, the people who hate Trump thought he was just making stuff up. The people who love Trump thought he was tipping off something amazing that was going to happen that would coalesce all this, this uh, you know, angst and anger, you know, rich and lefties, et cetera. And there's some weird noise on the line. I wonder why. Um and, and so they kind of looked at this with a microscope, a mere, let me see, it was October 28th. This, this dinner was on the 6th. A few days later, on the 28th, the first QAnon under Q posts on um, a, 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 a um, internet channel, I think called 4chan, uh, appeared. And they began to talk about a coming storm. And that was the beginning. Okay, now we flash forward the film 
uh, to um, uh, March of 2018. And in March at Miramar, which is a major marine base on the West Coast, the president of the United States, Donald Trump, suddenly, out of the blue, almost like he was having an internal conversation in front of a live mic in a national audience, talks about creating something called the Space Force. And everybody looks at each other and it's like, is, is this a cartoon? Okay, let's continue. All right. If you go to Radio with Pictures, look at item number six. After a couple of years of going through the military, uh, the Pentagon, obviously Congress and all that, a new branch of the military services for the first time in 75 years when the Army Air Corps was turned into the Army and the Air Force separately, we now have, as of, I think it was 2019 uh, or maybe 2020, I forget exactly when this was authorized through Congress, we now have another branch of the military services, co-equal branch called the Space Force. And if you look at item number six, there's a picture of the president, you know, grinning broadly. Uh, Trump almost never grinned. Here he is grinning broadly, standing next to, uh, an, you know, an adjutant who's holding the official Space Force flag. Then if you go down to number seven, oh, a lot of people, as soon as the flag was unveiled, said, wait a minute. This looks really weirdly familiar. And they instantly recognized the chevrons and the orbits and the stars and the whole thing, one over layer of Star Trek, the various patches on Star Trek, the Federation, Starfleet Command, et cetera, et cetera. And they're eerily similar, eerily, eerily. At this point, I'm thinking, and I'm going to go you know, internal now, this is really intriguing. This is too much of a coincidence. Then, of course, we had the whole uh, 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 you know, COVID-19 thing hit in 2020. And what does President Donald J. Trump do but form a task force to confront the virus, which we know now from the Woodrow Bernstein uh, conversations was total fake. And he sets up a group, a research group within the task force, to create an unbelievable speed, a vaccine to inoculate everyone in the United States who wants it, and obviously beyond, uh, with a vaccine which will counteract, which will immunize people to COVID-19. And out of all the possibilities he could have chosen, or they, the people around the president could have chosen, they decided to name this project Project Warp speed. Oh, that's intriguing. Gosh, we've got Star Trek emblems for the Space Force. We've got warp speed for the counteraction campaign to defeat the virus. I mean, there's, there's, you know, two Star Trek allusions, alliterations, overlays here. That's intriguing. Then, of course, you know, you realize immediately, oh, my God. The whole Q thing. Who is Q? Who was the most interesting character in Star Trek The Next Generation, but an extraterrestrial, extra-dimensional character with the capabilities of a god, 
who could appear and disappear and made, you know, the Enterprise crew's life miserable, but a guy named Q, which, of course, brings us back to Star Trek. Okay. One event is an event. That happened. Two events is a coincidence if they're connected. Three events, hmm, we seem to have a trend curve going here, connected to, of all things, Star Trek. What could connect Donald Trump and Star Trek connected through the Space Force, but potentially did the president know as of the night in October, October 6th, 2017, surrounded by his military, that in fact there is a force out there that has designs on us, does not have our good intentions at heart. It could be doing something or planning to do something big. And Donald Trump, because we know from history now, as a public person, he cannot keep a secret. Remember when he just been elected and he brought the Russians into the Oval Office and excluded the American press and he gleefully told them about some super secret Israeli intelligence thingy and submarines and all that. And, of course, the, everybody was freaking out that he'd given you know, the Russians some deep secret connected to our, one of our major allies. Was he being evil? No. I think, and this is a personal opinion, that Donald Trump – when he gets hold of some of this information, simply cannot keep it to himself. So it comes out as these very interesting, strange allusions and anchorless references. And I believe, again, based on other data that I have from you know, what the NSA has way out there, as well as the um, uh, you know, potential probabilities of the reality – of a secret space program, which really like, you know, one term for it is solar warden is really out there patrolling the solar system as part of a deep, deep, deep black ops program. The military, the Pentagon, the U S military establishment had a much earlier knowledge of a Mua Mua. See Ron, we get there. than NASA, but they discovered it on the pan Stars telescope in Hawaii on October 19th. But in fact, the military had discovered it because they were looking for these kinds of things as part of a whole secret UFO slash deep state slash black ops set of programs going back to Majestic 12. They knew about Amuamua a long time before, maybe as much as a month before, or maybe a couple, three weeks before. And somehow the president, I mean, how would the president find out about this? Well, obviously in the chain of command, he's supposed to find out about this, but he could not keep his, he could not keep a secret. So he alluded in this impish way to the coming storm. I believe that COVID-19 was the coming storm he referred to and that it in fact is a battle attack from a negative entity force whatever out there in the solar system i think it's the breakaways because they would have the most interest in regaining the earth if they had to leave 
I mean, they were the only inhabitable place as far as the eye can see in the solar system where you can walk outside without wearing a spacesuit. So would they have an inclination to want to finish the job that was begun by Hitler, you know, 70 some years ago? Of course. Do they have the capabilities given the time and the technologies we know they possess? Yes. Do they have the political will? Time for the big move? Maybe. Okay, all this comes together when NASA, in their wonderful naivete, put out a press release where they say that this object, this bizarre object, which appears to be much longer than it is wide, it looks like no asteroid or comet ever seen, there's no outgassing envelope, there's no indications that it's other than an inert piece of rock, except it's rotating Roughly once every seven hours, that should be intriguing to some people in this audience, and it appears to be incredibly reflective, 10 times the reflectivity of any other object known out there in the whole centuries-long history of astronomy, and it's moving in a non-Newtonian fashion. It's accelerating as it leaves the solar system never to return. So NASA, finding its first interstellar visitor, is going, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, this is amazing, you know, and they name it. And because it was discovered by NASA in Hawaii, they decide to go to Hawaiian mythology, pick a name, a muamua, which they claim means scout. Well, one of our members, one of our colleagues, uh, Keith Laney, did a little research. It's amazing what you can do with the internet if you know how to use the internet. So Keith called up a Hawaiian dictionary and looked up what a mua mua means in Hawaiian. It does not mean what NASA said it means. It means so much more. Because yeah, it's a scout, but they didn't give us the rest of the definition. It's the first scout of a war party. In other words, a reconnaissance mission for a military force coming along behind. That was announced by NASA on or about the 19th. Well, maybe a couple of days later. In March... Just a few months later, the president, again, who doesn't seem to be able to keep a secret, is discussing in front of those Marines at Miramar the creation of a space force to protect us, to protect Earth, to protect us from what? Now, tomorrow night, when I have Tim Ventura, he's going to give us the inside story, including how uh, a couple of generals lost their stars because they were proposing for much longer than the president seemed to be aware of a space force. And they kept being shot down, shot down. One actually was told to shut up or he'd lose his stripes and stars. And he did. And Tim will have the whole story uh, tomorrow night, including what's going on right now, given that it's been moved by presidential order of former president Donald Trump from Colorado Springs Two of all places, Huntsville, home of a whole bunch of 
paperclip Nazis brought here after World War II to create, in essence, NASA and to get us to the moon. Okay, item number uh, eight. This is an article uh, by uh, on Abby Loeb and his uh, great unknown, because Abby Loeb is a mainstream scientist. He is the current director of the Harvard College Observatory and Department of Astrophysics, a position that Donald Menzel many, many decades ago held. And Donald Menzel, it turned out, was a double agent. He was dissing on UFOs by day and was a secret agent working for the CIA by night. And where he fitted in his college duties, I have no idea. Point is, Abby Loeb is the major mainstream scientist who has been saying now for months and has just written a book that Oumuamua was an artificial spacecraft that entered the solar system, whipped around the sun in a hyperbolic trajectory, and left in the direction of the constellation of Pegasus, never to return. And that there should be millions or trillions of such objects based, of course, on his model that we are average and the other gal- other civilizations in the cosmos are average and that everybody's going to send stuff to everybody else. So his idea is that a Muamua was in fact a huge giant solar sail and it was defunct. It was an artifact. It was a derelict. It was a you know dead piece of junk by the time it got here. And that explains vis-a-vis solar pressure on the sail, the anomalous acceleration as it was departing. Finally, item number 10. The QAnon folks have really interesting graphic people. This was something I found, you know, that's on a QAnon site. It has several different interesting aspects. Because remember, graphics are critical to communicating subliminally messages. It says, against a rising sun, I presume it's rising, looking out over a flat ocean with a ship in the middle, calm before the storm. Is the ship a metaphor for spaceships? And what about that thing in the upper right-hand corner? If you enlarge this uh, this uh, graphic, you'll see there are three stars inside a, a circlet of, I presume those are laurel leaves. And in the upper right, in the middle of this emblem, there is the incredible picture of a lion. And we have found as part of our research that lions and humans somehow came together on the surface of Mars in the embodiment of the face on Mars. And we've now found in both the orbital and surface imagery redundant artistic examples of cats, felines, all over the Martian surface So is this a subliminal way of saying between the lines, the coming storm is in fact having nothing to do with pedophiles and elites and Democrats, but in fact, we are involved in a literal interplanetary interstellar war and someone is trying to do something drastic biologically to the human species in 
potential preparation for taking back control of Earth. I warned you, it's really far out, but the dots are all there. Certainly gets quiet. I noticed. <laughs> okay, come on, all you courageous people. Uh, I really like the way the timeline uh, lays out, but um, well, let me yeah, get it. Hang on, hang on. See, I, I think yeah. of these things, and if I don't say them, I'll forget. I'm at that point where if Go I don't it. say it, I'm going to forget it. So let me give you two data points. Asked a few days ago. In the briefing room, we go back now to number eight. Biden was asked through his press secretary what he was going to do with the Space Force. Remember, what Trump did was to spend four years getting rid of everything Obama tried to create. You know, uh, executive order after executive order after executive order, the systematic destruction of the Obama legacy. Everybody presumed in this new political climate that President Biden would come in. And do the same damn thing, you know, tit for tat, undoing. You know, and he's done, what, 45, 47 executive orders, what, most of which were aimed at undoing what Trump did. So World logically, record. hang on, hang on. Logically, yeah. he was asked, what, what, what are you guys going to do with the Space Force? And the official pronouncement coming from the White House, vis-a-vis -vis the president, is the Space Force is staying. It's not going anywhere they're doing nothing, and he has technical control of Congress, so if he wanted to get rid of it, he could, all right? Why is he a president who is so far apart from Donald Trump that it's like being on the dark side of Iapetus during an eclipse? Why is he continuing service branch? And why did both presidents, again, 180 degrees apart, in every way you can imagine, both declare themselves Wartime presidents. Again, I think the whole QAnon thing is kind of a uh, fulfillment of what I call Roddenberry's rule, which is if you don't see something on television, even if you're among the elites and you've been briefed, you won't believe it. You have to see it on television or on the internet or on a blog. Or on, you know, Fox or, you know, Shapiro or, you know, Rudy or whatever. You've got to see it there before, even if you're privy to this information, you'll believe it. And the coming storm that he enunciated that night four years ago is now upon us. And we have no idea where it's going, but both presidents are secretly prosecuting the war. We're not supposed to know even exist. Okay, Ron. Okay, well, I think we're having a war with people that don't necessarily want to be at war with us. They just don't want to interact with us. But because it's become increasingly impossible to prevent people from getting the basic ideas down, that we're not alone, that there's somebody out there, and they're coming around here to hang around, you know, uh, uh, for whatever purposes. And so since they don't want to talk with us, interfere with us on a grand scale, it leaves the power structure free to make up scenarios that they're the bad guys. Nation states make up scenarios. You know, think of Kim Jong-un or something in North Korea. 
Oh, those are the evil. Oh, you always have to have an exterior enemy. Yeah, you can do anything if there's an external threat. Okay, we don't have a lot of time. We don't have a lot of time. Dan, Daniel. I don't know about the specifics of your theory, um, but as I said, I'm, 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 I resonate with the possibility that there is a, um, you know, other forms of intelligence interfering with human evolution, and they may even, you know, be extra-dimensional. You know, they may, they may, they may be able to move through time as we move through space. This seems to be what is revealed by, you know, some of the information with the crop circles and, you know, so, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if the, you know, this, uh, this discovery of this object really suggests that it's a war scout or, you know, it's just some piece of alien technology in the universe. No, 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 no. This is what NASA called it without telling us what they really called it. They themselves have attached a meaning to this object. Right. Well, I, mean, I saw. I mean, I, I, so I just was, while you were talking, I tried to do some research on. And I saw Scout. I didn't see, you know, advanced Scout of a war party. But of course, you know, in an indigenous culture, you know, Scout would often have a, could, could have that type of significance. But I mean, yeah, who knows? I mean, um, I guess I guess time will tell on this one. <laughs> he says, "Living, you're living in Mexico now, right?" Uh, yeah. So you're not in New York City, which well, might be. You know, I wrote a book about the uh, Mayan calendar, the 2012 or 2012th Good for me right now to be back in the lands of the Maya, hmm. and kind of um, yeah, it's just it's just. Uh, and also, I really wanted a break from the United States. Frankly, I'm sort of tired of I the of the, imagine, of the tonalities of the U.S. Can't imagine why. Okay, we don't have much time, Georgia. Georgia. Um, when you mentioned that uh, Biden is not getting rid of uh, Trump's space force, I think it's because we've had a space force for quite some time, and this is part of the rollout of info. Okay. Uh, so, I vote with Georgia. Yeah, no, no. I've, I've always assumed that what the, what the plan was here was to unveil, oh, we've got these kind of new toys, and we didn't happen because it's national security. But now that it's you know we're, we're it's crunch time and we're up against the uh, you know real problems, uh, we kind of have to let you know. And so yeah, we do have some neat toys, and we can go and out there and meet them on level ground, not the interdimensional beings, uh, Daniel, but you know let's say breakaways, Nazis with the same kind of hyperdimensional technology that our secret programs have, which I thought when unveil. And that's one of my biggest disappointments about the president, but that's another day too. Hey guys, I, I, I really want to thank everyone. Uh, this has been an amazing conversation and we're going to have to do it again. My guest this morning has been Daniel Pinchbeck, Georgia Lambert and Ron Gerbron. And we've been trying to grapple with what the heck is QAnon? I don't have any firm answers. I have a lot of suspicions and I have a trend curve of data which will continue tomorrow night with my friend Tim Ventura and inside the Space Force we now know. So until then, same time, same bat channel, third star on the left, straight on till morning. Good night, everyone.